Well, hello, everybody. Good to be with you guys this afternoon to be together. Um, If you could open a Bible to Exodus chapter 20, uh, that's where we're going to start from tonight, that starting place of Exodus chapter 20. Um, And uh, if you're familiar with the Bible, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. Um, So you want to flip there, have it open in front of you. There's also Bibles on the back table. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take that home with you uh, because we want everyone to have a Bible. Um, We're doing something a little bit different today. Uh, What I wanted us to do, uh, we have basically a standalone message today before we go into the book of Jonah next week as we look at how our God is a saving God and He invites us into that that work with Him. Um, But today, uh, I've really wanted for us for many months now uh, to look at this theme, this thread in the Bible and its teaching for us uh, about what God has to say about our time and particularly our need for rest, our need for rest. Um, Because it's quite obvious, I think, just from talking to one another, uh, listening to you guys, looking at my own life, uh, talking to people in this world, we are starving for rest. Um, It's it's not breaking news to acknowledge to us tonight that, that busyness and tiredness and words like burnout seem to be at alarming rates for us. Um, We were told years ago, well before I was born, that with the advancements of technology, um, that it was going to allow for us to take our 40 to 50 hour work weeks and only have to work 20 to 30 hours a week so that we'd have more leisure time to do the things that we really enjoy doing and want to do. And with the advancement of technology and our grasping hold and embracing technology, which I'm not negative, I'm not like anti-technology or something, just to be clear, it has its pros and cons and all these sorts of things. But as technology has advanced, we haven't, let, uh, we haven't let it just sort of help us do the things that we need to do better. Um, we've, caught, we've used technology basically to cause ourselves to add more and more to our plates, to have this sense of feeling limitless in our lives. So we're being pulled in, in a million different directions. So many different causes, opportunities, events, and many, if not most, of the things that come across our plate are really, really good things. We might be making significant sacrifices for other people while we sign up to things and say yes to those things that come across our plate. But how good are we at saying no and not feeling guilty about it? Or especially if you're saying no and you know that technically you have the time even to do it. Or, or how are we doing at saying no because we know that we are saying yes to something better? Better yet, how good are we at saying no because we actually know our limitations and we see those limitations as good and God-given in our lives? As our world uh, dances to a 24-7 song, a 24-7 beat or rhythm, yet the Bible teaches us that God created a world with a 24-6 rhythm. He has built into his world our need to rest, to say no, to constantly saying yes. So I'd like for us to consider practically what it looks like to live into God's design for how we use our time specifically for our need to rest. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. 
So the first thing that I want us to see is in Exodus chapter 20 and in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So we want to kind of, again, this is not normally what we do, but I want you to kind of put your hand, your finger there. Deuteronomy chapter 5 and Exodus chapter 20. And the first thing that I want us to see is the command to Sabbath. We have this command to Sabbath. Let's, let's read these two in parallel together. So we have God here speaking through Moses to his people after he's delivered them from their slavery in Egypt, and he's given them the Ten Commandments. And here's one of those commandments. This commandment and the second commandment have the most amount of text to them, which is signaling to you this is an important commandment. And look at verse 8. What does it say? Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Let's look over in Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is the second giving here and recounting of these commandments. Look at what it says in verse 12. Verse 5. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. All right, well, what's the Sabbath? Well, the Sabbath was a 24-hour period of time from sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday where everyone would stop from their work. So the Jewish people didn't have names for the days of the week. So the word Sabbath simply means to stop, right? to cease from work. And the ceasing from work was not just for adults, so to speak, for husbands and wives. You could see here, even in the text we just read, it was for the whole of society that was commanded to rest. You see even things like livestock in the physical land. So kind of strange things to say, let them rest. I mean, but this is even for non-believers, for people who are sojourning and they're foreigners in the land, people who are minimum wage workers, everybody, okay? Not just Chick-fil-A, right? Everybody was supposed to do this, okay? And they had interesting laws of things that they couldn't do on this day. Interesting to say the least. Things like build a fire, gather food. Uh, there were laws against sowing, reaping, weaving, building, ba- uh, baking, etc., And then over the years, the Jewish leaders sort of added more to the list, this laundry list of things that you could not do on this day. But believe it or not, this was not meant to be a gloomy time. This was a time, if you will, for them to feast and and not fast. They wouldn't just, you know, sit in a library, as it were, and have private devotions for 24 hours or something like that. They would delight in the good things that God had given them and that he had done. They would feast with families. They would enjoy God, his creation, and they would remember what God has done for them. Now, why would God command this? Why would he make it one of the ten, right? I mean, this is kind of one we kind of often skip over. We look at the other ones, we're like, yeah, see the value in that, see the value in that, see the value in that. But why would God do this? Well, your text that we just read give us two reasons, actually. 
In Exodus 20, he gives us a creation reason. That's the first thing we need to see here. There's a creation reason for this. You see it in verse 11. In the six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth to see all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. They were to rest. Why? Because God rested. God doesn't get tired, though. He doesn't get weary. But in creation, God rests from his work so that he would enjoy it, right? So he would admire it. He rests in the creation account. Why? Because he's satisfied, not because he's tired. It's not because he's tired, it's because he's satisfied. And this rest and enjoyment of creation, if you think about it, was what the first human beings were invited into on their first day in this world, right? We are told that Adam and Eve, the first humans, they were made on the sixth day. That's what we're told. And yet the seventh day is the day of rest, right? So their first day on the earth was the day of rest. Isn't that amazing? So this Sabbath command can't just be a day off. That's not what this is saying. It's, it's different. This command to Sabbath is not just so that you can keep going in life and not burn out, which is how most of us think of the idea of rest. It's so that you would delight in God and the things that he has made. It's a creation reason. I mean, most of us probably view the Sabbath like that old 80s song, Everybody's Working for the Weekend, right? You know that song? You're welcome. It's now stuck in your head. That's my gift to you tonight, right? Everybody's working for the weekend. We can view rest as if it's something we're just trying to crawl to the finish line on. We've been just burning out. We've been working so hard, and I could get to that day if I could cross the finish line. I'm going to crawl there, right? Then I will have this day of rest. We're living for the weekend. But the Sabbath was not a rescue mission for survival. That's not why it was mandated or created. It was a strategic day of delighting in the goodness of God and his gifts. It's a day that we live, if you could say it this way, right, the rest of our week out of. We live our week out of this day, not a day that we just try to go stumbling into it. So based on the creation reason in Genesis, we see that this day is is a day to be satisfied in what God has done right? There's also a redemption reason. That's the creation reason. But Deuteronomy 5 gives you a redemption reason. Did you notice this is the difference? Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. They were to rest. Why? Because God delivered them from a life where they could never rest. They were to remember that they were slaves in Egypt and that they could never rest even if they wanted to. And so now that they were free as God's people and were a society of their own, they could actually rest. They could rest. And they were to spend this day reflecting on that, reflecting on the deliverance of their, from their God, from their slavery. So there isn't just a stopping on this day and a staring at the wall sort of mentality. They are to do things, proactively remember. So, so this redemption reason shows us that us putting down our work, if you could think of it this way, it, it's a sign of revolution. It's a sign of revolution. It's a, a declaration of freedom because they couldn't, not work in Egypt. 
They had to do what the Egyptians said, and, and they were driven into the ground for their work. So now they, they wouldn't work on the Sabbath. It was a declaration of their freedom. I'm not a slave anymore. It was a sign that said, I'm not a thing. I am a person made in the image of God that God has redeemed. I'm not a cog in the machine. More than anything, though, we see it here, right? The Sabbath, and we know this from the rest of the Bible, the Sabbath was the sign of the Mosaic Covenant. It was a sign of the covenant that God has made with his people through Moses. It was a sign that they were free and that they were actually God's people. This is the Mosaic Covenant. All right, so uh, think of it this way. I married Elizabeth on August 12, 2006 over at Glen Auto Park in Troutdale, okay? Still a nice park. It was way cooler back in the day, let me tell you, okay? But on that day, we stood before each other, and we made a lot of promises, vows to each other. And after we made those vows, we exchanged rings, right? I mean, this is the same ring that I got on that day, okay? Um, I've held on tight. I wear this thing, you know, showering, playing sports, whatever it is. Like, I never take this, this thing off, right? This is a symbol of our marriage union, isn't it? This is why this ring is so important. It's, it's why I don't take it off, right? If I, if I did, you could actually see on my finger. I couldn't fool you. I have like a permanent imprint on my finger that I wear a wedding ring. I can't fool anybody, right? So, so that's what would happen if I even took it off my, my finger. It shows the world what? That I am not my own, that I belong to somebody else. Okay? The, the ring shows the world that I belong to Elizabeth. And so in a very similar way, Every covenant has a sign in the Bible, but the, the Mosaic covenant sign is the Sabbath. So from this point forward, the, the Sabbath was a sign of this Mosaic covenant. It signaled that they were not their own people, but they belonged to God. So we see here what the Sabbath was. It was a day to delight. It was a day to remember. It was a sign of God's covenant and deliverance of his people from slavery. So does this mean that you and I should be keeping this commandment still in the same way. I mean, it's one of the ten, isn't it? Right? So if you don't cease from your work from Friday evening till Saturday evening, are you in sin? Right? That's probably a question we should ask. Well, we must not forget what Jesus has done. Okay? So that's the second thing we need to look at. Jesus clarifies the Sabbath for us. He comes and he clarifies the Sabbath for us. We can look at places like Mark chapter 2. It's just one place of many in the Gospels where the disciples are going through the grain fields, plucking the grain, and they're being challenged about breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus famously says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Right, so we see that there. One of the other important texts for us to see uh, lands us in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. In the book of Hebrews chapter 4, we have this long discourse of this promise for people to enter the rest of God, but through their disobedience, it says, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then it talks about Joshua and what happens there. But then in verse 9, we see this clarified for us. This is post Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So how are we to think of this? If there still remains a Sabbath rest for you and me today, even as Christians, well, that's where we need to look at Colossians chapter 2. This is just one place that's helpful for us to see. What does it say there? Paul's talking to the church in Colossae, and what does he say? 
Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. The substance belongs to Christ. What was happening in this context in Colossians was that people were beginning to believe in Jesus and they were beginning to follow him. In all these cultures that were not Jewish in their heritage, they didn't didn't grow up with the Old Testament law and things like that. But Jews who had converted to following Jesus, we saw this last week that the witness in Luke 24 was to begin in Jerusalem and then spread out to the nation. So people were coming to faith uh, out of Judaism with belief in Jesus that he really was the Messiah. And so these people who were Jewish that were coming to faith were still following all these various forms and customs and laws that were significant to their Jewish faith. Things that we see even listed here, right? Food, drink, festival, new moon, Sabbath, right? They're still following these things. And so they're saying to all these people who weren't Jewish, but were coming to faith in Jesus, they're basically saying, hey, if you don't eat certain ways, if you don't follow the Sabbath, right, in the way that we do, then you're not really a Christian. I mean, maybe you'll get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. We don't know, right? But you're not really a true Christian. And so Paul comes along and he says, don't let people do that to you. You don't have to eat specific ways now or go to this festival or rigorously uphold the Sabbath. He says, let no one pass judgment on you. You see that there in Colossians. So so you might be saying, well, sweet Josh, this is like my verse, right? I mean, there's just nine commandments now, not ten. So, I mean, ten was a lot to remember. Nine's much easier. So you're just telling me, right, there's no need for me to follow this, right? Sweet. No, that would be missing the whole point, okay? Missing the whole point. Remember, the intent and the heart of these commandments even given to the nation of Israel as, um, remember, right, this is just a family, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God sends Joseph into Egypt to preserve this family through famine. And as they are in Egypt, they grow in number. They become a nation that are enslaved, and they've finally been delivered, and they're going to be a nation now. They have no laws, nothing, right? And God's giving them these commandments. How are you supposed to function in society? And so he's given them these commands, but remember what Jesus says when he comes along. Places like Matthew chapter 5 and the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? I've come to fulfill the law, not abolish it. That law is what? This Mosaic law. Not so you don't have to follow God's design for life, but so that you could actually go deeper into the heart of it. Right? It's like in my house. Um, for years, uh, we've had a rule in my house, hey, you're not allowed to punch each other. Okay? You're not allowed to punch each other in the face. Okay? I feel like it's a good rule, right? Pretty standard status quo rule. You should try it in your own house. It's a good rule, right? I could say that rule because I don't want people to hit each other when they're in conflict, okay? We want to abide by that. I could also go further and I could say, hey, you know what? Since we don't want any physical violence in our house, I'm outlawing wooden swords and lightsabers, okay? Um, I could do that and um, my sons would be mad at me, but I could do that, right? And, and what would be the point of that? If, if we had a home where no one physically punched each other, right, and we had a home where we didn't have wooden swords and lightsabers, you know, would you say that I'm doing a good job as a parent, right? What would that be signaling to you? I mean, most people probably say not because of the lightsaber thing, right, but get past the lightsaber thing, and how would I be doing? I would be missing the whole point, right? I mean, because, yeah, that's great to not hit each other, but that's not the dream for my family, right? What is the dream for your family? What you're after as a parent is what? It's love, Right? That's at the heart of it. I, you could say things like we don't hit each other, but really what you're saying is I want us to love each other. 
We're called to love one another. There's something deeper even to some of these things that we might bring into effect as a family. And so you can think of it this way. Think of it this way. Jesus obeyed the Sabbath perfectly. Why? So that you could enter into the deep rest of God and practice the experience of that rest in a much greater way. Do you see the point of Colossians, what Paul's making here is is that Jesus being the substance, what that means is not he's the substance so you don't need to rest. That's not what he's saying. Jesus is the substance so that you could be free to rest in a much more significant way. Right? It's like this with everything. You know, in the Old Testament, people were told to tithe, what is it, 20-something percent. But Jesus comes along and commands us to be generous. Why? He, he's saying to you, look at how I've been generous to you and giving you my own life. This is God's heart and will for your life, to be generous. Right? He does, he's not saying in the Ten Commandments, you just don't need to kill people. Right? Don't kill people. That's good. But he's bringing clarity to this. He's saying, I want to rid your heart of hate. Right? He doesn't just come along in the Ten Commandments and say, I just don't want you to physically sleep with somebody of the opposite sex who is not your spouse. No, he's saying, I want to rid your heart of all lustful desire. Right? You don't just need to uphold a sundown to sundown Sabbath from Friday night to Saturday. I want to bring you into a much more profound state of rest. So if we're, if we're not building rest into our lives as an intentional, committed, celebrated way of life, we are missing out on the Creator's good design because we need rest. We need rest. But maybe not exactly just the rest that you think of. We get to rest. And you might even be here and believe the opposite of that. But your heart is starving for it. It's starving for it. So what would the Sabbath look like? What could the Sabbath look like for us today? Well, for the answers to this, the guidance for this, I do want us to look again at Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 because that's where we get our answers. What could the Sabbath look like for us today? The big question here is, should we hold to a strict six-day week and a seventh-day Sabbath. Is that what we should hold to? Well, a few things to note before we dive in here. Number one, again, this law was given to a nation that was going to be birthed and established their own law, right, and governance, right? And so these people could organize a society around this type of Sabbath, But you and I and many other believers throughout this world and through centuries, we live as sojourners on this world. We are citizens of heaven, right? And so we might live in societies that wouldn't even allow you to function in this way, meaning you'd have to work on a Saturday or something like that, okay? Number two, um, Christians throughout the centuries since the resurrection of Jesus have understood a day of rest to take place on Sunday because that's the day that Jesus conquered the grave and rose from the dead. That's why when you read in the book of Acts, you see people consistently, like Paul saying, when we gather together on the first day of the week and broke bread, right? You see the first day of the week being this this sign where people are gathering together on Sunday versus Saturday. But number three, to note, we we don't want to create a new legalism here, right? That's for sure. And you, 
we should be careful of people who want to create a new legalism here, honestly. Uh, we shouldn't do that. But there is a real need for us to take regular rhythmic patterns of rest into our lives because it's even grounded in the creation account, pre-fall, okay? So if we can take judgment off the table, like Paul just said in Colossians, and at least believe that we need rest, regular 24-hour period chunks of time rest, what could this look like for us? Well, number one, there's three things there. Number one, we need to weekly put down our work and remember we're not God. This is the first thing that it looks like for us to rest. It's because putting down our work is a sign that we actually believe we're not God. And that when we cease from our work, we believe that he continues to work. We need to put it down. Uh, There's a prevalent title or name that runs throughout these extensive commands to Sabbath. Do you see it? I'll point it out to you in Exodus 20. What does it say? The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. We see this again in verse 11. For in six days the Lord, Yahweh, made heaven and earth. Therefore the Lord, Yahweh, right, blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is a declaration of God as not only creator, but as king, as ruler, as a God who is in a covenant relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ. I I know that if I asked you this, um, do you have a hard time believing that you're not God? All of us would say, I have no, I don't have a hard time believing I'm not God, right? We, We would all admit that we don't have a hard time about that. But if we look at our lives and our actions, if we think about how busy we are, how much we try to juggle all the things that we're constantly saying yes to, whether it's out of fear of someone being upset at us or fear of letting someone else down or fear of missing out on something, fear that if I say no to this, right, it means I have to say yes to this and I'm going to miss out on that. And what if that is the thing that I was supposed to do, right? We try to spread our options out so thin so that we don't make the wrong choices in a world where there's way too many of them, right? But all in all, what are we doing there? We can't say no, right? And in a certain way, we're thinking we can do all of this. If we can't put down our work and stop, then there is a disconnect between what we say and think and what we really believe. We see this, all of us, we have a statement of faith. Even as a church, we have a statement of faith. But then we have our lived faith, don't we? And sometimes our statement of faith and our lived faith is really synced up. And sometimes that, ca- that gap is a chasm like the Grand Canyon. We know what we're supposed to say. We know what we're supposed to state. But what we live it is showing you what our faith actually is. I- I've always been helped by Michael Novak here, um, who's a believer. He wrote a book, and he talks about three kinds of faith in our daily lives. He talks about how we have public convictions what I say I believe. He talks about how we have private convictions, what I think I believe, and we have our core convictions, what I demonstrate I believe. So we have public convictions. This is what I say I believe. I can manage your perception of me by saying what I believe. And I go, no, I don't believe that. I believe this. And you're like, okay, well, you believe the right thing. You know, we can manage our perceptions. But then in our private convictions, right, 
we say things to ourselves that we think we believe. So we can say things even like, I believe that I need to rest. I believe that I am not God and that God will keep the world spinning. But I can, I can say that. I can, I can think that. I think I believe that. But then through my actions, I'm actually demonstrating that I don't actually believe that. And so then we have these core convictions. This is what you demonstrate that you actually believe. In other words, if you want to know what I believe, and this is always scary and sobering, right? If you want to know what I believe, watch my life. I look at the choices I make. If you want to know what you believe, study your behavior. We show by taking a day to rest that we are seeking to sync up our stated faith and our lived faith, that God is God and that I am not, okay? So to be practical, what does Sabbath look like for us today? Again, it's putting our work down for a bit, even if, and I'll even say especially if, there's still more work to do. When you know there's still more work to do, the ability to put your work down is a declaration of freedom. You might be wondering what qualifies as work for you. Well, that's where you have to ask yourself, what is my work? Okay? And that's what you're trying to put down. So for some people, uh, for many of you, right, you might do white-collar work, so to speak, which means you work with your mind. You work with relationships, things like that. And so putting down your work means that maybe you do things with your hands, It's you um, prayerfully trying to offload all the emotional weight and burdens that you carry and to set them aside for a time to rest. And one of the best ways that we do that is through prayer, honestly. Or if you work with your hands, you, you do construction or something else, way cooler than what I do, right? I always envy you guys who work with your hands, right? What would that look like for you? It would mean doing something that's not worth your hands. So if you work construction six days a week, it's not doing construction on your house, right? That kind of idea. If you're a stay-at-home mom, bless you, right? I mean, you got the hardest job on this planet, and I'm not just saying that, trust me, right? You can't stop parenting. I get that, right? Believe me, I understand. I, I do and I don't understand. I don't want to take my place in your life, okay? But at the same time, right, you can't stop being a parent, but you could put down the work that you have to do, let the laundry pile up, I'm not running errands for the day, I'm not paying the bills, whatever it is. All right, this is, this is hard for some, but it's important to plan for and practice putting your work down. And it's also, I think, a correction for some people who are lazy, who are supposed to work and to see that God has given us good work to do. It's it's a God-given thing. And so putting our work down, if we are slothful normally and demonstrating that you aren't God, it will only be life-giving if you're picking up good hard work in the first place. So number one, it's, it's putting down our work and realizing that we are not God. Number two, practicing gratitude. This is enjoying the good gifts that God has given to you. That's why he roots this in creation. This is what God does. When he looks at what he's made and he's satisfied with it. Very practically, I'll I'll go quickly here. Very practically, this isn't a day for us to see as a boring day, to, to, to sit and stare at the wall. I mean, this is a day of delighting, right? To spend time with family and friends, with people you love and enjoy, to feast together and play together and laugh together. We we can become poisoned by not seeing the goodness of God in this world. If we despair about 
all the things in our lives that are not right about the world and our circumstances, or if we're just putting our head down in work then to distract ourselves from all the painful things, or the moment that we actually have a break, we're distracting ourselves with entertainment or other things. In other words, if we're stuffing the pain, gratitude cannot well up. It cannot well up. So practically, what does this mean for you? It means doing things that you want to do, not this that you should do. I'm not talking about indulging in sin, okay? I'm talking about asking yourself, what is it that God has wired you specifically for that when you, enjoy, when you do it, you enjoy it and it leaves you filled up with gratitude in God? Me and uh, Mike and Jordan got to go to the Together for the Gospel Conference in Kentucky a little over a week ago. And we hadn't eaten for almost a whole day because of our travels. And one night, we got to go to this barbecue place called Feast. If you're ever in Louisville, highly recommend it. And we sat there and we ate the best barbecue I've ever had in my life. And Mike, I hope this is okay, but Mike was sitting there emotionally almost, just like, I'm praising God for this. Mike's like, I am worshiping as I'm eating this meal. And I really believe that he was, right? He was genuinely eating this brisket, worshiping God for it, right? And we were all doing the same thing. But it was glorious, and that's what we're talking about, right? It's delighting in something, not as the thing in and of itself, but as a pathway to delight and enjoy and be grateful to God for the things that he has made, right? Number three, number three, we not only should put down our work and Remember that we're not God. And not only should we enjoy the good gifts that God has given us in terms of practicing gratitude for what God has made, but we need to remember the gospel. We need to remember the gospel. And here's where we really fall short. Because for some of us, yeah, it's hard for us to put our work down in and of itself. For some of us, we go, yeah, I'm good at resting in the sense that I just sit on the couch or I don't do certain things for a day. And you leave that day and you're like, I don't feel more f- filled up. But at the end of the day, I could, I could say to us, and because of what even the scriptures are teaching us, is that you could put your work down, you could enjoy the good gifts of God, but if we don't remember the gospel, you're not going to experience the rest that God has wired you to experience. An observant man once said regarding why we can't slow down and stop our work and rest, he says, we can't stop. If we stop, we'll die. We're terrified. We're frightened to death of what we will see inside ourselves if we slow down. What is the thing inside of ourselves? Well, it's for many of us, it's shame. And guilt is different than shame. Guilt is something that you know you've done. Shame is understanding of who you are, who you think you are. Shame is the painful feeling or experience of being fundamentally flawed or defective or unworthy and deficient in some way. So we work and work to silence the voices in our minds that say you are deficient, you are flawed, you're behind all the things. Or when you rest, right? You don't rest well because you just try to distract yourself in the silence. We keep busy so that we can quiet the voices that say, I'm never good enough. I'm never safe enough. I'm never perfect enough. I'm never extraordinary enough. I'm never successful enough. I'm not the person that other people, I think, want me to be. And I know I'm not the person that I thought I would be. 
See, the the Jewish people were called to remember that God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt, that he had redeemed them, that he had liberated them and was leading them into a land of rest. And he liberated them by leading them out of Egypt. And then what happened? They came to a sea. And they saw, we are in trouble because the Egyptians are hot on our tail and we're just going to go back to our old lives as slaves in Egypt. But what did God do? He parted the Red Sea. We're told the Israelites walk across on dry land, and as they get to the other side, the sea comes crashing down and destroys all of their enemies so that they couldn't be enslaved any longer. They were called to remember that. And we are too. Yes, as a part of our heritage, but even more specifically, We are to locate our remembrance in a much more profound remembrance, a much more profound place of rest. And it's not found in just a new land here. It's found in the true land that we're all waiting for, the city, the eternal city that we're seeking. And why are we going to be there? It's because Jesus came and rescued us from our shame, from our slavery to our sin. He came and he lived that perfect life. He obeyed God perfectly, his father, and yet he went to a cross and died, not because of his shame, but because of our shame. And then all the people who believed in Jesus, we looked at this the last couple of weeks and watched his life when he died, they felt like they were up against that sea. We're just going to go back to our old ways and our old sin. But then something greater than a sea being parted happened. The tomb stone was rolled away and there was no body there. And we've looked at this the last couple of weeks. Jesus rose from the dead, right? Washing away all of these things that have enslaved you, the, the power of sin in your life, the guilt that you have for that sin, right? He offers you free forgiveness through his death and resurrection, The power of of Satan and and the shame is all washed away in that great sea of what he's done for you. When he cried out, it is finished. We have a much more profound thing to spend time remembering on a day of rest. And it's only when you remember that and you rehearse that will you begin to experience the rest that Hebrews 4 is talking about. We have an eternal liberation purchased through Jesus He bore our shame so that on a day of rest, you could remember when you hear those voices, there's more work to do. You're getting behind. You're not good enough. You're not who you should be. When you remember the gospel, you know that those voices can finally be silent. It is a day to remember whose you are. You're a child of God. And the Sabbath day is a day where you are meant to have that wash over you and what Jesus has done for you. It's, it's like that old um, illustration, right? When you all get on an airplane and they tell you how to buckle your seatbelt, you know? And then they say, if, you know, here's the flotation devices if we crash in the body of water and all that stuff. And they say, hey, when the oxygen masks come down, right? Please put it on yourself before you help everybody else next to you, especially a kid. What's the point? Well, if you're passed out, you don't have oxygen, you can't help anybody else. How many of us in our lives, we're just trying to, for the sake of what we tell ourselves, we're saying yes to all these things, we're trying to help so many people. But, but if I'm not putting on that oxygen mask, that's more important than just the air I breathe, but the actual air of the gospel, I'm not very helpful in helping anybody else. 
Uh, one way that I, I've practically, uh, this has been helpful in my life, uh, there's a little book, I grant it's very ugly, not appealing at all, you wouldn't grab this off the shelf, it's called A Gospel Primer, uh, written by Milton Vincent. Uh, learning to see the glories of God's love, it just helps you rehearse the gospel on a daily basis of, of what Jesus has done for you and how that actually affects your life in a day-in-day basis. I highly recommend that to you as a way to put that oxygen mask on. So how can we practice a Sabbath rest today? We put down our work. We remember we're not God. We enjoy the good things that God's given us and we remember the gospel. Guys, if we live in a society that marches to this 24-7 song, we will not dance to a different beat unless we're really intentional about it. Just like if a beat and a melody came over this room right now, you'd begin to tap your foot. You might begin to sway to that beat a little bit. But if you tried to dance to a different rhythm, it would feel impossible until that song is washed away. In the same way, we need this sort of intentionality. Our society is not structured for this. And so not only will your life be dramatically different as you live with the rest that is foreign to this world, but the world will notice that you are dancing to a different song and you will look weird, right? But Sabbath is not only good for your own soul, it is a witness to the greatness and goodness of God who is the designer of our lives. He's the designer of our lives. So tonight, this is not a call to legalism. It is an invitation to rest. And it is a gift from God. You are free to rest. We are saved by works, but it's not our own works. It is the works of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can stop working. You can stop trying to prove yourself. You can stop trying to silence the voices on your own that are filling you with that shame. You get to rest. I did the math for you. If you practiced this, you would be adding 11 years to your life of days filled with gratitude for God, remembering what he has done for you in Christ, and remembering that you are not God. 11 years. What a glorious amount of time. So please hear the voice of Jesus tonight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you tell us that there remains a Sabbath rest for us. And I pray that we would grow in our intentionality of taking time to live into your good design for our lives. And we pray, God, that you would help us to um, remember, to be intentional about remembering and let the gospel of your finished work, Jesus, wash over us in a way that would liberate us to live with a daily sense of rest in our hearts. Lord, we need you, and we do, um, I know I need to, Lord, we, we want to come to this table tonight and repent of all the ways that we busy ourselves, distract ourselves, pretend to be more limitless than we really are. Lord, would you uh, forgive us for that and help us, Lord, to return to you and live into your design for our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.